thankful for the name, hallelujah. We're thankful for your sacrifice, and we worship you and praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, more of your glory in this place. That's our prayer. Amen. Thankful to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Thankful to be with this great congregation. Amen. If you have your Bibles, want to move into the word of the Lord, teach tonight solid principle of the Word of God. I want to say as you turn to the book of Psalm 103, Psalm 103, we'll be reading verses 6 through 12, and while you're turning there, I just want to say that it is a privilege always to speak behind this pulpit in this church, the GBFPC, been here 29 years, there's no better place than GBFPC. There's no better place, there's no better friends, and uh, it is a privilege, I'm thankful for my pastor, Brother Bradford and his family, their influence on me, thankful for Bishop and his great influence on me, thankful that he's here tonight, certainly could switch places with him and be fed, um, it is a privilege to have him here and all the ministry capable brethren, um, I'm just happy to be in the house of the Lord and want to be a blessing vessel of honor used for his glory. So with that being said, we'll move right into the word. And Psalm 103, verse 6 says, The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. And we can say amen to that slow to anger and plenteous in mercy he will not always chide neither will he keep his anger forever we could be thankful for that certainly he could be angry at me but he chose to give me mercy Amen. he hath not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities for as the heaven is high above the earth so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Amen. From this thought-provoking scripture, I want to bring out this title for memory's sake, and that is that ye may ye may know. Amen. Let's put down our Bibles and let's raise our voices once again up to heaven and ask him to help us. Savior, we love you and we thank you, God, for the power of the Holy Ghost that is in this place. And we ask that you continue to move in a way, God, that will touch every heart and mind. Compel us, Savior, to draw nigh unto you so you would draw nigh unto us. We're thankful for this opportunity and we pray your blessings upon us in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen. The book of Mark is an interesting book, and there are some many themes in the book of Mark uh, that we could emphasize, but foremost among them are Mark's positioning of Jesus being the Son of God and the Son of Man, two very unique and different titles, and some scholars suggest that uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 1 serves as a title to Mark's gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
is how it begins. And we could talk about the Son of God and what does that mean. As soon as Jesus is mentioned, he is identified as the Son of God. And this is powerful. And throughout his life, others confirm the fact that he is the Son of God. And this title alone, however, would have meant much to a Roman audience unless Jesus also displayed the power of God. It meant a lot to the Roman audience that he was the Son of God. But it wasn't a title that Jesus used to describe himself often. In the book of Mark, I think it's at least 14 times, Jesus, in referring to himself, calls himself the Son of Man. Jesus came with the purpose. He came to fulfill the Word of God, to fulfill prophecy as the man Christ Jesus. He didn't robe himself in flesh. He became flesh. He became flesh, and his, his part uh, in that to become the ultimate sacrifice, that he could be tempted in every way like we, as we were tempted, we are tempted, yet he knew no sin. He was fully flesh, fully human, yet he was fully God. Yet the term Son of God could be a little imposing. It could draw a lot of negative attention to him, especially in the Jewish culture because there is none but one God to them and they weren't understanding fully that this Jesus was God. So that title wasn't always used by himself to describe him. Rather, he used Son of Man. So Jesus never denied that he was the Son of God and the Messiah, which he was. However, his emphasis was not on power. It wasn't on politics, and that could be suggested by being called the Son of God. But his emphasis was on servanthood and suffering. So Son of Man was his term of choice. And Daniel talks about in prophecy that the Son of Man will come. So we know that the Son of Man also is the Messiah according to prophecy. This book of Mark is powerful, it moves quickly, and in a lot of instances, there's always a quick, powerful move of God. And Jesus is saying, whatever, you, whatever happened here, don't tell anybody what happened here. He's trying to keep things down low, on, on the low down, as we used to say back in the day. And people would begin, his fame would spread abroad because people had to tell about the goodness of Jesus. They were compelled to talk about this man named Jesus because he was opening the eyes of the blind. He was taking uh, the legion, the demoniac, and he was, he was casting out devils. How could you not talk about this son of God who's trying to keep things on, on, on lock, you know, and make sure that his ministry is finished before his death? Mark moves very quickly that way. It's a conciser. Uh, is that a word? I don't think. It's a more concise, more concise gospel, but it's very quick moving and powerful. And I'm saying that because I'm coming to a portion of Mark, Mark chapter 2, uh, that talks about a very specific instance. Jesus is in Capernaum. Capernaum is called the town of Jesus. I've been there. I've seen this place uh, that they, well, they feel like it's this place. And you could see possibly that it may be um, but I'll read in Mark chapter 2, verse number 1. It says, And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And can I just stop and say that every time we come to this place, 
there should be a noise that erupts from within us to let everybody know that Jesus is in the house. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, I don't want to be here if Jesus isn't here. But if he is here, I want to declare, hey, glory to his name. Hallelujah to his name. Jesus is in the house. Let me tell you, this church exists today because Jesus is in the house. We preach Jesus. Jesus' name, baptism and repentance and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And that is a shout of victory that we declare Jesus is in the house. So straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Jesus comes to this house. And um, in Capernaum, they believe that they found this house. And a lot of those homes, there were usually one to four rooms. And the, the roofs were made with leaves and mud, and that's how they pitched the roofs. And a lot of times there were stairways that led to the roof so they could do repairs during storms and things like that. So there was like a small set of stairs. And this particular house, they believe that they're talking about in the scripture here, uh, they built a Rome, the Roman, the, the Catholics built a church over it. So there's a glass floor you can look into, it, but it kind of takes away from from it, first of all, you know, Catholicism, and then here's this church you really want to see, but you now have to stand on top of it and look through a glass floor. It's a beautiful structure, but anyway, I digress. This place is supposed to be the, the house that we're talking about here in Mark chapter 2, where so many people were in the place, insomuch that every room was filled and they had to come outside and, and start standing outside. And it's this setting, the Bible says in verse 3, they come to him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So here are these four guys taking a man who's sick of the palsy. And they know Jesus can do great things. And in the book of Mark, you'll find whenever there is a great miracle, there is always great faith. And that should be applied today. There should be great faith. In the house of the Lord. Amen. Despite the circumstance. Despite what happened yesterday. Despite the problems you're going through now. There is still a faith that can arise in you. And say God is able. No matter what the world may say. No matter what the enemy may say. My faith says that God is able. He's able to deliver. He's able to bring forth a miracle. He's able to provide. And by action tonight our faith says God is able. We put on our best and we came to the house of God. That is a display of your faith that God is going to do something. That is a, a display of your faith that says, you know what? I'm going to church tonight because I love the Lord and He is more than able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think. And there they are in this situation. And here come these very brave men full of heart. And they have a friend who is sick of the palsy. And verse 4 says, and when they could not come nigh unto him in the press. They turned away and went home. No. They're like, we got to find another way. Plan A is not working, so let's go to plan B. A lot of people don't have a plan B. They just, if it doesn't happen the way they want it to happen, they just give up, turn around and go home. And the faith, the faith is depleted and God can't do anything. God cannot perform the miracle. 
but these four, they said, you know what, there has to be another way. And their plan B wasn't probably something that I would think of. I would not think of the method to get to Jesus uh, to be the one they chose. In verse 4, they, when they could not come nigh to him for the press, they got on top of the roof, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they laid down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Can you imagine? I don't even know if they knew whose house. I'm sure they knew whose house it was. But someone must have said, we can fix the roof later. We, we can take care of everything else later. What's most important is we need to get to where the master is. That's first and foremost. We need to get to where Jesus is. We need to bring our problems to him. Everything else we can sort out later, but right now the most important thing is, is where is Jesus and how can I get to him because I have a need. And so that's what they did. And when Jesus, verse 5, saw their faith, he's in there, he's preaching, he's preaching the good news, he's talking about the, the gospel, he's, he's talking about things to come. And all of a sudden, chips from the ceiling start falling onto the ground. Leaves and mud and whatever they created the roof and built it from, it's falling apart. And, and all of a sudden, I mean, somewhere, somewhere everybody has to stop and be looking up. Jesus is teaching, but they're looking up like, what is going on? You know how that is. Something happens in service and automatically your attention's diverted. Can you imagine back in time, the, the roof's coming apart. And then here's this bed coming down, being lowered, however they're lowering it, down to where Jesus is. And verse 5 says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the, of the palsy, this is, this is powerful, this is incredible what Jesus says. He's fulfilling scripture. He says unto the sick of the palsy, he says, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now that I don't know. I'm pretty sure that wasn't these four first and foremost uh, 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 plan to forgive this guy's sin. They really probably wanted their friend to be healed of the palsy. But Jesus, when he saw him, saw a greater need. Saw something that goes beyond the outside. He saw the inside of the man and he said, hey, this is a sinner. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Because of their faith, them lowering him down, he forgave this man of his sins. That is powerful. And I could tell you that I'm thankful today that I could come to this place and I could lift up my hands. Or I don't even have to necessarily come to, to the altars in this room, but I can make an altar at home or I can make an, an altar in my closet. I could make an altar in my vehicle or on my job and I can, I can talk to the Lord and I can ask Him, God, forgive me of whatever sins may be in my life. And right then and there, the blood of Jesus Christ meets me where I am and He covers me and I am forgiven. What a great miracle that happens when God forgives our sin. It's one of the greatest miracles that only He has the ability to do. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for repentance. I'm thankful that He can wash away all of my problems, all of my fears, all of my anxieties, all of my sins, all of my past mistakes. He can do that because He is God. He's fulfilling Scripture. And so there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They weren't saying it out loud, but they were trying to, you know, 
find a way to accuse this man. And so in their hearts they were saying, why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? They're already questioning this man, this son of man, and, and what he's doing. Only God can forgive sins, and that's how they were taught. And I can understand it to a certain degree, but they are they're just so much about the law, and, and they don't understand that Jesus has a mission. He has a purpose. And so Jesus quickly perceives in his spirit um, why they reasoned within themselves. And he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? Which one is easier? And of course, it's probably easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee. Because really, how do you verify that? Only God can verify that. But he's setting them up for the home run. He knows that they know that. It's easy. Who are you to put your, yourself in the, in the shoes of God and to forgive sin? Who are you to do that? How do you verify that? What makes you so special to have that power? And Jesus is setting them up. Well, what's easier? Is it easier to forgive sin, or is it easier to heal this man of his palsy? And so we get to uh, verse 10, and my title, he says, But that ye may know, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to prove to you right now that I have power to forgive sins, and this is how I'm going to do it. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thy house. And that day he heals him just to prove to them, Not only can I forgive your sins, but I can heal the sick. I can heal the lame. I can raise the dead. I can settle any, I can make, I can make something out of nothing. I can settle any situation because I am God. He verified it. He put his seal on it. I am God. I can forgive sins. And immediately this man arose, he took up his bed, and he went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. He's getting a reputation now. He forgave sins. And then he backed that up with a miracle. If you don't think I can forgive sins, well, maybe you will believe this. But let me put a question in your mind. For me, the man, Christ Jesus, God of eternity, it's not hard for me to cause the, the lame to walk. It's not hard for me to cause the blind to see. Nor is it hard for me to forgive sins. And so in your face, devil, take up your bed and walk. That ye may know that he has the power to forgive sins. Sin is so ugly a lot of times, and just, just from my personal experience with working with people, a lot of the battle is in the mind. And that's what the enemy of our soul likes to do. He likes to get into the playground of our minds and make us think that we're nothing and that we can never become and that we'll never be anything and that you're too far gone. And God can't use somebody like you because there was once in your life you sinned. Or maybe there was multiple times. And that's his game because he knows the promise that you have. He knows the blessing that is, that is uh, supposed to be given to you uh, by the Holy Ghost. But he wants to keep you back from that which he has lost. So he causes doubt in your mind. And you have so much potential. I've talked about 
this before, but and I haven't been in some time, but one of my favorite places to visit in the fall is near Lake Tahoe um, in the Placerville area off of Highway 80. Before you get to Donner Pass, there's a lot of um, deciduous trees out there, and there's a lot of apple trees out there. Uh, there's a place even called Apple Hill. And it's a wonderful place to go. And before I had ever been there, I didn't realize how many different types and species of apples existed. And there are many, there are many and they each have a unique flavor. Some are more tart, some are more sweet, some are tart and sweet. Uh, some are just, you know, bland. Some are soft, some are crisp, some are honey crisp. And there's, the list can go on. Fuji apples, Granny Smith apples, my favorite, the Pink Ladies, the Black and Sweet, the Red and Delicious, the Asian Pears, the Honey Crisp, the Gala, the Fuji, the Cora. There's all different types of apples. And what's amazing about Apple Hill is you could get apples and go home and be happy, or you could stop at all of these different farms, Abel Acres and, and all these fancy little cute farm names in each of these different places have creations of their own. Some have shops filled with jars of apple butter or, or um, apple sauce. Some will have um, candy apples out of the different types with chocolates and walnuts all in it or, or just caramel. And, and it's all just from the one, the one apple. And um, there are all other kinds of things like different types of pie. Not just the apple pie, a personal favorite, um, the apple pie. They have the old-fashioned apple pies that stack really high, you know, and they got a huge dome on them or caramel apple pies. And this is the time of pies, my friend, so let me, uh, let me uh, embellish this sermon a little bit with these descriptions because my wife did not let me get an apple pie for Thanksgiving. She said I can get it later, and later hasn't come yet, babe, and I want an apple pie. Hot apple turnovers, hot apple cider, apple cinnamon sauce. You could drizzle it on ice cream, caramel apples, fudge-covered apples with walnuts, peanut butter apples, apple ice cream. There's one place that makes apple donuts. They're making them fresh right there, kind of like Krispy Kreme, teasing you a little bit. You can't leave unless you eat one. It's just, it's just the way it is. But all of this simply comes from the one fruit, the apple. But what the difference is, it may just look like an ordinary apple from the outside. It may just look simple, like, the, like, the, like a, just a simple piece of fruit. But if you put that in the right hand, the right hands of a baker, then it turns into something even better, something that you never thought it could be. And I know it's a simple Sunday school analogy today you know they even say people could be bad apples that's a bad apple you know but I just want to emphasize in a simple way in a simple way today because we need to hear it that you choose you choose how you're molded you could either come to the house of God and you could be subject to the word of God and let him create something from your life, a beautiful, a beautiful thing. You may feel like you're, you're just an ordinary apple or 
you're just destroyed and broken. And there's nothing that God can do with your life. But God can do something with your life. As a matter of fact, He specializes in repairing the soul. And building up an individual. And taking them out of the miry clay, as the song says. And establishing their feet on a rock to stay. God specializes in that. And as a matter of fact, He enjoys doing it. And He loves it when the, when the empty soul and the broken and those that are, that are on, the, on the cusp of falling away come to him with open arms and trust in him so that he can mold them into something even better. But we allow ourselves so easily to think that we're nothing, to think that God cannot do anything with us, to think that my sin's too big and too big and, and, and it's too rank and, and, and God cannot forgive me. And the battle in our minds wage on. And, and, and it's why we're here today. We're here to preach the good news. The good news is, is Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And that's the good news. The good news is, is God died for your sins. And he buried and he took, and when he was buried, he, he went down to the grave and he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Those don't have power over you because Jesus has those keys. And then he rose again, and as he rose again, so shall we in newness of life. Hallelujah, when we're repented and when we are baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, that is the good news. That's why we exist today, to share the good news. So the good news is what we should always trust in. God has given amazing abilities to the simple things that don't, don't look like they can do much. And you could, you could look at things like the grasshopper that can literally jump an entire football field, just a small grasshopper, and cause billions of dollars in damaged crops, especially in number, just a little grasshopper, or the ant that can lift 20 times their weight. Something so small that seems so insignificant, but God has blessed them with, with great capabilities. And an ant actually, actually can live for several years, 12 years. I don't know what ant years is. I know what they say dog years is, like seven years compared to one human life. I don't know what ant years are, but a single ant can live to about 12 years. And God has given these kind of abilities to these things, the fly, if you have the ability of a fly, you can fly to London and back before breakfast time because God has given special ability to little things. And then there's you. There's you. God has given you a special calling. God needs you for his kingdom. God wants you for his kingdom. If you choose not to, then he'll go somewhere else and look for somebody else that will accept the call because many are called, but few are chosen. But you're needed today in the house of God, and you have a gift that nobody else has. If you could just have faith to put yourself in the master's hands. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. There is a power that you can tap into when you believe on him and you accept him, you worship him, you dedicate your life to him. There's a power that is reserved for you, my friend, if you would just have faith to reach out and grab it and claim it and believe God has given it to you. Or you can just sit back 
and let sin erode your faith, erode the love that you have for the Lord, to make you think that you're nothing. That is not the will of God. God has a plan for you. Brother Bradford mentioned it the other day, and it reminded me of, of something that I had looked into at one time, talking about mighty elephants that are just... Um, that are just contained by a simple rope tied to their ankle. And then that rope from their ankle is attached to a fence post. And elephants are, are amazing. They have brute strength. And so one guy had asked, how is it that this elephant just stays put? That he doesn't go anywhere. I mean, look at him. Look at this post and look at this rope. He could easily remove it with brute strength and and the trainer told them when they're very young and much smaller, we use this same size rope to tie them at that age. And at that age, it's enough to hold them. And as they grow up, they are conditioned to believe that they cannot break away. They believe the rope can still hold them. So they never try to break free. And this amazed the man. They are strong enough to break free. They have the capability to have liberty in their life. But because their mind was trained and conditioned from the very beginning of their life that they cannot move, that they cannot go anywhere, that they have to stay put, when that rope is attached to their feet, they don't go anywhere. And that is exactly how sin would like to contain you today. That's exactly how the enemy of your soul would like to make you think about yourself. That you've always been a failure. You're never going to be something great in the kingdom of God. You failed once. You can never be back on top again. You're just going to be beaten down. You're a nobody. You're a nothing. You're not as good as brother or sister so-and-so. And that's how the enemy likes to torment us today. But I'm here to tell somebody that is wrong. That is not the truth. God has a calling for you. Sin has been overcome by he who died for us. So get up, go to an altar, throw up your hands, get some friends that will carry you to where Jesus is. That's important, right? Being around the right circle. Don't get around negative people that aren't willing to take you to where Jesus is, that aren't afraid or ashamed of you, that will be your friend and help you in your moment that is lowest. It's the kind of people you need in your life. Boy, it's so elementary, it's so rudimentary, these principles and this thought. But really, you need to be around. The Bible says whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are a good report, there be any glory. Think on these things. That's why social media can be a trap sometimes. That's why the media can be a trap sometimes. There's not a lot of good things. There's not a lot of merciful things. There's not things that are a good report. If you surround your mind with that kind of environment, you're not going to have a breakthrough. You're not going to have enough uh, courage to gain faith and allow God to work. If you keep your eyes on this world and think that America's going to get better someday and our kids are going to have happiness. Look, America is not, a president is not what's going to give happiness to our children. It's going to be the house of God. It's going to be a Sunday school teacher that I want to pray God anoints and teaches the word of God to. It's going to be a bus driver that's going out and picking up somebody and taking them to the house of God. What did he say? He said, seek ye first. The kingdom of God. Our focus should be on the kingdom of God. Everything positive about the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the kingdom of God. 
I'm thankful for this church. I could go on so much of how well or how, how great it has been to me, how this church has blessed me, and I've done it so many times I don't want to bore you. But I just want to stop and say, God, I'm thankful for the house of God. I'm thankful for the man of God. I'm thankful for the saints of God. I'm thankful for this place of refuge. If I, if ever, Lord, don't ever let me fall to where I never want to come to the house of God and lift up my hands and tell people how great you are. Never let my faith get dull. I don't know where I would, would be today if it wasn't for the house of the Lord. Surround yourself with people that believe in the house of the Lord that will help you. Amen. These elephants, in brute strength, they're just, they're just strong. The largest mammal on earth, the African elephant, it can carry up to 9,000 pounds. Uh, it can carry up to the weight, which is, oh, I'm sorry. It can be 9,000 to 10,000 pounds, the weight of approximately 130 human beings. They're just, they're just massive and strong. A full-grown female can weigh between 7 to 10,000 pounds. Uh, that's 3 to 5 tons, reaching heights of 10 feet from the toe to the shoulder, while a full-grown male can be from between 9,000 to 14,000 pounds, which is 4 to 7 tons, and stand as tall as 14 feet. Elephants in Africa routinely knock over entire trees so they can get to the tender plants at the top of those trees and eat them. Very strong, yet a simple rope they can be held by. There have been reports where these elephants can get angry and herds of them can push trains off the railway and off the tracks. Some believe it's because trains hit elephants and kill them sometimes. And they're intelligent animals, so they'll knock the train, right off the tracks. But you put a rope around one that has been conditioned, and it won't move. It won't budge. It's too scared and frightened. It knows its place, per se. In some countries, they're used for pulling logs from forests where no vehicle can go. And a bull can drag a three-ton log out of the woods and load it onto a truck. Over 100,000 muscles in the trunk of an elephant alone. That's why they're so powerful. And the skin of an elephant is about an inch and a half thick. But you put a rope around one that's been conditioned, and guess what? It's going to stay put. It's going to listen to the rope. When all the time it has the power, it has the ability to overcome and to be free. That ye may know today that the Son of Man has power. And I'm quickly coming to a close as the musicians come. I remember some years ago, I remember telling this to Bishop many years ago as a youth about a revelation that, or just, you know, a thought that God put in my head. And it's still talking about elephants in a sense. But there's a verse in the Bible. Um, that's where all the verses are, by the way, that we talk about there in the Bible. There's a verse that says, he casts your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. And being analytical as I was, that seemed as to me that the sins were still there. They're resting at the bottom on an ocean floor. And why put them there? I like the verse that we read in opening uh, because it applies to me professionally that as far as the east is from the west, so far are your sins. 
He's cast them away that far apart from each other. East and West will never touch. That makes sense to me. But putting sins at the bottom of an ocean in the sea of forgetfulness, it seems like they are still there. They're just resting dormant. So why use that? So I began to do research. What is the deepest part of the ocean? And I think they've even found deeper since. But at that time of my study, it was the Marianas Trench. Marianas Trench, which is over 3,616 feet to the bottom. To the bottom, what's over, it's, it's just several, 36,000 feet, excuse me. Over six miles. And that's deep. And you know, especially those of you that scuba dive, that you can't just dive as deep as you want. But you have to acclimate. And the scuba gear you're wearing helps you do that, helps weigh you down. And when you come up, if you've ever been deep sea fishing and you yank, you yank up one of those red cod, those vermilion cod up from the ocean floor at a depth of 250, their eyes and their tongue, their bladders all bulged out. Why? Because you yanked them up so fast from a depth of the ocean where there's a lot of water weight. You pulled them up. They didn't have time to acclimate. And so all these things are overpressurized. So there's weight water weight. You can't just go down. Submarines have to have to work at a slow rate so they can get to the right pressure to hold the water weight. We're talking about your sins going into the sea of forgetfulness. Why put them there, Lord? You read recently in the news about a vessel that went down and imploded. Pressure of the water caused it to implode. So, why put them there, Lord? And I started to just do some math and research and found out that at that depth, the bottom of the Marianas Trench, per square inch, there's 15,751 pounds per square inch. Okay, now, that's PSI, per, uh, you know, pressure per square inch. So just to give you an example what PSI can be like, you know, if I walked over to the sheetrock and I leaned on it, it's not going to really damage it. Well, maybe it might. Which I've been losing weight. Thank you, Lord. But if I were to take the same weight and use a thumbtack and press into the sheetrock, it would, it would go in because all of that weight, all of that pressure, it's, it's focused on one single point, enough to make it go through the wall. So that's 15,751 PSI per square inch. Now we're getting somewhere. This is, this is interesting to me. And so I started to break it down. Well, he's throwing my sins into that depth. Someone could swim down and get them, right? I know it sounds funny. So how many square inches are on the human body? There's about 22 feet, uh, uh, 22 square feet, or, or uh, I'm sorry, 3,168 square inches of skin, approximately 22 feet on the average person. So that's how much skin there is. So if you took every square inch and you applied 15,751 PSI times 3,168 square inches of the average human body, don't lose me, that's equivalent to the weight of 49,899,000 168 pounds of weight on your body. 
which is equivalent to approximately 4,989 elephants standing on top of you. Saying all that to say that the Son of Man, the Son of God, He takes your sin and He throws them into a sea of forgetfulness. It's called forgetfulness for a reason. Because there's no way, there's no way that anybody is going to be able to take what God has cast from you into a sea of forgetfulness and bring them back up. That ye may know that the Son of Man, He has power today to forgive your sins. He delights to do it. He can do it right now. You don't have to wait for altar calls for God to forgive you or to show mercy. You don't have to wait for Sunday night. You don't have to wait for Sunday morning. God has the power. Let me tell you that you may know God has the power to forgive your sins. I'm thankful that he does. Amen. As we stand together, I want to read again this scripture that we opened with, starting at verse 10 of Psalm 103. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities, for if he did, we would have nothing. We would be destroyed. Thank God he didn't reward me based on my sin. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he hath removed our transgressions from us. I'm thankful today for the mercy of the Lord. That's the lesson today. He has the power to forgive your sins. Hallelujah. Let's worship him as they sing. Hallelujah. Let's thank him for the power that he has to forgive our sins. Never lost a battle. Never lost a battle. Sunday school because it's so easy to get kids to believe the word of God. You know, as we get 